Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm presenting Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne. And I'm here with an architect who has given me great pleasure over the years, who's got a great sense of humour, who has a wonderful interest not just in architecture, but in furniture, decorative arts, fine arts. He's really quite a renaissance architect in my mind. And I'm here with John Henry. So welcome to the show, John. That's okay, Stephen. Nice to be here. John, you're an interesting architect. I remember years ago uh, when I first heard about your amazing house in research. It was a long way for me to, to travel, um, and I was in a very bad mood. And I walked in, and I think I said to you and your partner, better be good, um, because it was such a long way. It was amazing. It was a magical experience. It was a house that won a Steel Award in, in 2007, and it was a very poetic piece of architecture. Tell me a little bit about that house, because I think it was a key house for you. Yeah, it was a very important time of my life when you actually are challenged to design a house for yourself. Some architects can't do it. Uh, they get like writer's block in terms of designing something for themselves. So I get another architect. That wasn't going to happen to me. So what I did is I, over two years, I reassessed the things that I loved about architecture, the things that I wanted to do in that home. And I took a lot of examples uh, and I, I moulded that into the house that I like. I'm, I'm highly interested in space and how light enters space. Uh, and the house had to evoke that. Uh, it was and it had to have an element of daredevil about it. You know, when you come in, mm. it challenges the human spirit about uh, embracing different levels and, and and that sort of thing. For people who don't know the house, it has been published extensively. It's basically a big shed with a dirt floor over several levels, and there is a bit of the element of uh, or inspiration from the Robin Boyd House of 1967, designed for Grant and Mary Featherstone. Tell me about that st as a starting point, John. That, that was one key element. I always loved that house because it actually took architecture to a different level by Robin Boyd. He was highly influenced by the Japanese metabolists uh, and I thought it was uh, just mind-blowing someone could design a house like that in 1967 when everything was basically in a box. So it sort of evoked the things that I was really interested in. And so I set about modelling it on it, but not copying it, but taking the ideas about translucent roof platforms, living in a courtyard, that sort and of thing. And an indoor garden. An indoor garden, that's right. Yeah. And it's basically a dirt floor. It's, it's essentially a dirt floor, But yes. more sophisticated. There was another architect you were uh, very interested in from New York. Mm. That, that architect is Paul Rudolph. Uh, when I worked with Daryl Jackson, he introduced me to Paul Rudolph uh, in terms of his work. And so I became very interested because Daryl Jackson came back and he was exploring that type of what, genre of architecture. Uh, for people who don't know Paul's work, mm. how would you describe it? Paul Rudolph was one of the late modernists uh, and he... He, his, he was highly influenced by Le Corbusier with off-form concrete and brutalism. And there's something beautiful about brutalism architecture where you have the rough surfaces and the light penetrating those, those surfaces. It's like the space is trying to escape and the light is trying to come in. So it's a tension between those two things. And so I became really 
uh, in awe of brutalist architecture and how it, how Paul Rudolph developed it from the roots of Le Corbusier. John, the house is quite different from the Featherston house in many, many ways. It's also a very budget-driven house. Uh, I mean, you bought the whole... Th- it was basically a, a factory. Um, you bought the shed from a, a, a farm shed from Albury to start with. But- so it's just this huge shed. Was it because of uh, economy or was it something you thought could achieve the result you were looking for? That was that was essentially budget-driven, Yes. When you look at that house, uh, you could say this is going to cost lots of mar- lots of dollars, you know. So we had to revert to uh, economic means of construction. So we looked at sort of industrial componentry, uh, and a builder who was helping me out uh, said, "Well, how, how are you going to cover this thing?" And I said, "Well, I haven't got to that stage." So we built the platforms first, and then we decided that we need to put a cover over it mm-hmm. at the end. So we went sort of backwards in a way and uh, the idea came up through discussion with this builder why don't you use a kit farm shed so that was the genesis of that idea it's also quite unorthodox from another point of view is that the main bedroom is literally a mezzanine Mm. an open plan mezzanine that looks over the living rooms and there's even an open shower and toilet so it's fairly you know it's it's not a place that everyone could live in no, it's not, not. It's not for everyone. It's a, it's it's sort of a John Henry fantasy house. And when I built it uh, and designed it for Deb, she was pretty shocked about what I was proposing. But through dialogue and Deb's absolute faith in me, your uh, partner, my yeah. partner, yeah, uh, we we took the trip together, and so lots of those things evolved over time. Initially, I wanted the whole house completely open. And Deb said, no, no, there's no way we're going to do that. I need somewhere that I can have some privacy and have a shower if I want to have a private shower and I want a laundry uh, that I can iron in. Well, she's never ironed in it. So we came up with... So we came up with the idea of a box, and one of the pictures that we we purchased, which is a hard-edged optic art piece by John Vickery, was hanging on a black wall in a gallery and we loved that picture and so when we came home we had to find a place for it so we decided to paint the box black and we hung the picture on on the wall so it just reinforced exactly how the picture was in the gallery now the other thing that's interesting about john henry is he's a bit he has a bit of a fetish not for shoes but for chairs well i do have one for shoes as well (laughs) i've never seen so many extraordinary designer chairs in one space you have the who's who of design you have people like mark newson oscar niemeyer uh, frank gary uh, you have the featherston talking chairs i mean you've got every chair you can possibly think of how did that fetish start? What was the first piece that you started with? I, I, I don't know. Um, I think it was an inherent uh, um, interest uh, when I was doing architecture. Uh, y- you could do electives. And one of the electives that I decided to do was... Where furni- did you study, John? Uh, I started in uh, 1968. Uh, and uh, Which university? At Deakin. Right. Which was the Gordon Institute then, mm-hmm. but it was in its last final three years before the Deakin campus was built. Uh, but it was when I transferred to RMIT in the second three years. You do the first three years full time, the second years 
part-time, so I transferred to RMIT, and in those three years I decided to do an elective of furniture design, which I really loved. And the other thing is that I find furniture beautiful sculpture. I don't understand traditional sculpture, although I do like some pieces, mm-hmm. but they have to appeal to me instantly. So I embarked on a on a... On a a process of buying beautiful chairs to act as sculpture in the house. Tell me about some of the finds, because you must have just stumbled across some of the chairs and others you've been, you know, would have seen in galleries and sh- and second. I mean, how do you how do you know when you've got something that really takes your fancy? What are you looking for next? I mean, well, you don't know what you're looking for. Sometimes it, it just arrives, and I used to visit all the. Uh, the, the retro furniture people uh, in um, Gertrude Street and down in... Um, in Fitzroy. In Fitzroy and down in uh, Paran, those chairs, those, uh, those sorts of stores. And you'll just stumble upon a piece of furniture and you think, I like that and I'm going to buy it. And oftentimes I had to do deals because when I saw some of these things, I didn't have a lot of money. So I had to enter into sort of arrangements to pay them off. But I was determined that I would get them because I could see that in the future they would become very valuable pieces. What were some of the earlier purchases, John? Uh, a lot of the earlier purchases were the Fer- the Featherstone s- series. I've got probably nearly all the Featherstone uh, designs, except the, the round ball piece, uh, but I've got most of the others, e- either one piece or a, or a broken piece, and I'm gradually restoring them. So they were the first ones that interested me, and they were moderately uh, inexpensive at mm. that time, but now... They're, they're phenomenally expensive. Phenomenally expensive, yes. And the interesting uh, fact is that uh, I stumbled upon the talking chairs, but I saw one of them in a shop in an arcade in the city, and I found out who actually was renting that shop, and I asked that person if I could buy it, and he said, no, that one's not for sale, but I have two others in a shed at the back of an upholsterer's place in Glen Iris. You can have those. So I said, well, I'll go and have a look at them. He said, they're not in good shape. I went out and they were there and I said, look, I'll take them. But I've had them completely restored and they're now very expensive Mm. chairs. So it's just the luck, you Mm. know, uh, having a sort of an interest in it Mm. and maybe a bit of a gift of seeing, you know, things that might have increased in value. You've also got quite an interesting collection from Michael Graves. Oh, yes, yeah, uh, yeah. And he's he's someone that's not everyone's cup of tea. <laughs> he's probably an architect. He's an architect. He was he's, he made a name in the early 80s, yeah. and then he started doing the, people would know, the whistling kettle, that yeah. the little bird on it, on its spout. That's right. So you've got quite a big collection of his. What appeals to you about his work? I met Michael Graves on a bus tour in Vienna in 1985, and he invited me to go back and visit his office uh, when we were going through the United States. So I was really interested in his work in the mid early to mid-80s. I, I, I've since sort of passed over him, but to me, Michael Graves is a much more important product designer than he is now an architect, mm-hmm. and he's designed something like over 2,000 objects for Alessi... Um, uh, and um, target group in uh, in mm. the United States, and now he's designed a whole new series for J.C. Penney. Mm-hmm. And I met a friend, uh, met an American guy who who has, has an absolute passion for Michael Graves. Goes to everything that Michael Graves does, 
and he he has personal contact with Michael Graves, and so I've purchased a lot of stuff through him. He picks it up in the United States, and he packages it all up and sends it out to me. So I, I love his pr product design, and we, we're about to go on a trip to the United States and go to New York, and we're going to revisit Michael Graves. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to talk to him about... Uh, the, the the intermediate years between 1985 and 2013. The other thing, John, that strikes me about you is you're really interested in 70s art, contemporary 70s art. Mm. Sid Ball, artists. David Aspden, yeah, yeah. John Vickery. What, and, it kind of, and that period lends itself beautifully with the furniture and the warehouse that you have. Mm. What is it about that art? I've, and collected, I've collected to hard-edged and optic art all my working life. Um, when I was a student, when I first went to uh, the Gordon, uh, I went on a cruise one Christmas when I was a young guy, and I met a guy who had a profound influence on me. Uh, he was a young guy, and he was very interested in hard-edged art, and he said, John, you need to get interested in this form of art, because it's only a small window of art, and it will be very important in later life. And so I, he mentioned people like Sid Ball. He, he was enamoured with Sid Ball. And this, this chap was from Adelaide, and um, Sid Ball originally from Adelaide. So I, over the years, gradually bought Sid Ball's work, David Aston's work, John Vickery's work, Trevor Vickers' work, and and built up quite a big collection. Mm. So that was another reason behind the, the warehouse-style house that we could use it as an art gallery as well to hang art that I've been collecting for over 25 years. Yeah. John, it's interesting. This house has that wow factor. Uh, it's been very well documented. It seems like an ideal house for so many people, yet people haven't taken you up and actually built that form. No, it's very surprising, isn't it? Why is that? It, um, I've had lots of contact with, by, by people who want to come and visit it, and they say, we, we'd like a house like that, but it, they've never taken it up. They've come and visited, and I don't know what the factors are. That, you think uh, people are too conservative? I think so. I, I'm reminded by the story of, of um, Frank Lloyd Wright when he had an open house at Taliesin. Some people came in, two women came in, and they said oh, ah, isn't this wonderful, and that's beautiful, and oh, isn't this exciting, and then there's a pause, and people say, but I don't, don't know whether I'd like to live in a house like this. And I think it's the same sort of scenario. Because it's so different. Yeah, because it's so different. People can't come to terms with it, because my house is very, very challenging, um, uh, because of you know the openness of it and the the different levels and the space and the element of daredevil you know pl uh, perspex floors that you have to walk on that sort of thing Johnny with the other work that you're doing which you do a lot of domestic work mm -hmm. uh, particularly in uh, Melbourne's northern suburbs mm -hmm. like Templestowe Greensborough how is it how easy or difficult is it to convince clients to move into a new direction or is it just you know, feel like every little move is a is a is a victory. <laughs> How do you slowly um, change people's tastes? I don't try and change people's price. I try and embrace what their ideas are and what they want, and I go on the trip with them. So we evolve the design with them. So we bring them in, 
and we work with them so that we come out with the outcome that we really want. We, we, we don't like to, I don't like to be in an ivory tower saying, well, this is the design that you're going to have, like, 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 like a lot of architects do. I like to work with people so that at the end of the end of the job when the house is built they are really they've come along the trip they see it and they get excited by the whole process and they're very happy and then they recommend me to other people so i find that is a much more positive way to work than a than directing people about what you should do and what you shouldn't do what gives you the most pleasure with architecture john is it seeing the clients move in uh, the greatest pleasure is actually seeing the pleasure on clients' faces when their buildings are completed. The building process is not an easy process, very challenging mm -hmm. and daunting from time to time. And so you've got to work with your client to keep them on board. You can't isolate them or orientate, alienate them. You, you've got to work with them so that the pleasure on their on their faces at the end of the job is the most pleasurable thing for me as being an architect. Yeah. I don't... I don't really want to win awards but if they come along that's fine. John what's um, an exciting house that you're working on at the moment? We're working on a very exciting house that's got about uh, eight different levels in it uh, in um, Templestow that overlooks the the Yarra River and those clients have been fantastic along the trip uh, and they're just about to start construction of that house so that's another pleasurable pleasurable enjoying uh, experience that we're going to have together. There probably aren't too many open showers and bathrooms in that place, but what are some of the features in that house that have pushed the boundaries a bit, in the Temple Store house? Uh, it's the different levels and the cantilever. It's, it's very challenging how structurally. The, how steep's the site? The, the site's quite steep, yes. Yeah. So the levels go down the site, but they also go up, and, and, and the, there's levels between each area. But it... All the, all the rooms overlook into a courtyard, not dissimilar to my house, but they're enclosed, they're glazed, so that they still have the same experience of the space and a bit of daredevil issues, but, uh, privacy. but they have the privacy as well, yes. Yeah. And, John, you've probably got so many things you're looking at at the moment, but when you're collecting... <laughs> Cause I'm going back to collecting. Yeah. What's on your list next? Do you have things that you you're looking for? Or, I mean, have you seen something that that you're, you know? Um, I've, at the moment, I found some uh, <clears throat> exciting chairs <clears throat> by Michael Graves. There are only a few of them made, yeah. and uh, I'm I'm endeavouring to try and get those. They're in the United States, so they're on a they're on a, a live auction site. And You'll so, have a sleepless night. So I'll you? have some sleepless nights. And also another chair that I'm interested in, although I already have one of Robert Venturi's chairs, there's another one that uh, I'm currently negotiating to buy, which has got the grandmother pattern on it, which is a laminate in grandmother. It's part of uh, the genre of Robert Venturi's work, who's another architect that I admire as well. John, do you see it eventually of, of forming a little exhibition or uh, a place that people can see these chairs because yeah, they're such a, a wonderful Deb, Deb, my partner, is actually encouraging me to do that and we're in the process of, of working out how we can do that because it's not a chair collection that's limited. It's a very exciting uh, collection, probably much greater than the uh, the National Gallery of Victoria. We'd have chairs that they wouldn't even yeah. dream of getting. 
So that could happen in the next four or five years, but that would be very exciting. Uh, and maybe some of them might be up for sale. So Stay tuned. Stay tuned, yeah. The other thing that I really enjoy collecting are objects designed by architects like cups and saucers and vases, cutlery. Now, DCM, <coughs> Dentacork and Marshall did a vase a few years ago. What are... What what? They, they have a cup and saucer. Cup and, and spoons, saucer. Yeah. What are some of the collections? What are some of the uh, I've got the um, Swid, a lot of Swid Powell stuff. Swid Powell were uh, a New York uh, couple yeah. who engaged architects to design objects. So I, I, I eagerly mm. searched for that that stuff. Uh, other stuff is, is we're talking about Michael Graves. Mm. Uh, then there's Ron Arad. Mm. Um, British, London-based. London-based. Uh, I'm just trying to think who else there is. Richard Meyer. They've all... Lots of architects have designed uh, does, objects. Does your partner, Deb, ever say, uh, enough? <laughs> does she say, John, please? <laughs> You're testing me. Deb has actually given up. She said, John, I love your habit and I love your um, <clears throat> your interest and your passion but do you realise it's now become a sickness? <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, John, thanks so much for coming in today um, to talk to me. It's been a pleasure. And it's, it's a, been an absolute pleasure for me too, Stephen. I love talking about those things because it's not every day you get mm. to talk about it with and, someone who loves it. And thank you for allowing me to see your house so many years ago and really giving me so much pleasure, and mm. it still does today. And you're always welcome. Thanks very much. You've been listening to Stephen Crafty, Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne. Thanks very much.